0: Congregation, please stand for the gospel. You'll see on the screen we have Mark chapter 6. And as we read this gospel account, we see that there is something going on in Galilee as Jesus comes back. And though He is the King of kings and Lord of lords and He is the Messiah, He's coming into His own town in They fail to recognize who he is because they're thinking with the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom of our God. So you can imagine, as Jesus came into his own hometown, he was not welcomed very well. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples and When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Lord, before we are seated, we ask that you may give us faith. Oh, It is not something we want to hear from you, O Lord, that we lack faith in, in what your Son has done. And so God, I know that we can't manufacture it on our own, and I pray that each person here, that you may bolster their faith in you, alive in their faith to live for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I've had so much fun doing this, and so this might be the first Sunday here, but there was a crew of 39 of us that went to Israel and we had two weeks there, and I got to be on this trip with Holly, my wife, and we recently have come back. It's now been about three weeks we've been back. And what I've been doing is I've been giving an insight on Israel before my message, or as part of my message. And so you may have been here the last couple of weeks where I gave a couple of insights, and I hope you've enjoyed them, and that it will draw you to Israel someday, if the Lord willing. But today I'd like to share another insight with you that hit home to me, especially when I was there, and now to be honest, it fills me with all kinds of, well, laughter, and I hope, faith in me and in you. And so I'm titling this today, Israel Insight Number Three, Miracle at the Border. If you're anything like me, you discount miracles. Case in point, the crazy search at the Israel-Jordan border. It was the very last checkpoint of high security at the Israel border, and John Stoops was in frantic search of one of his hearing aids. Where are you, John? Raise your hand so they know who you are. There we go. Good. Most of the crew were waiting on the bus, ready for the next part of their Israel adventure. Our next stop would surely not disappoint. We were going to swim and snorkel in the glorious, beautiful Red Sea near near a place called Aquaba, a crossroads city between four countries at the very northern tip of the Red Sea. At one point, we were yards from four countries, Egypt to our right, west, Jordan to the immediate left, east and Saudi Arabia to our south. It was so cool. But that did not concern us at the moment. At stake was the precious property of Mr. John Stoops, and there was no way he was going to leave without this most important device. So we searched high and low. We commissioned security, our tour guide, and other nervous travelers wondering what was going on. Seconds turned to minutes, and now many minutes had flown by, but where was John's hearing aids? Finally, a couple of women, namely one by the name of Holly, decided it would be a good time to pray. Notice I was doing and I didn't pray. Lord Jesus, John needs these hearing aids. And unspokenly, I think they were saying, we want to go swimming in the Red Sea, not meander at this border any longer. They didn't say that. That was me. Please locate them for us. Have our eyes land on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Minutes later, the miraculous happened, but it was not easily attributed to God. Isn't that interesting how that works? found right where they were supposed to be were John's hearing aids in his ears <laughs> Oh my goodness So let me finish I'm going to back you up on this John I promise Was it a miracle or was it very poor or was it a very poor strip search I say that because John had mentioned after this ordeal that I have, would have made a very good TSA proud. I would have made the TSA proud because of my padding techniques down from his belt loop to his earlobes and under his shirt, shirt. Well, of course, good old ribbing and rejoicing resounded on the bus tour, on the bus. The question was, and still is today, was it a miracle or was it mistaken for carelessness and a lackluster TSA-like pat-down by Pastor Dave? However, I'm sticking with the miracle at the border. I wanted to give you this too. If you want to hear more about the miracle at the border, talk to John about it right after the service. He will talk your ear off, huh? And we invite you to come to the Israel Show and Tell slideshow next Sunday, October 20th, at 6 p.m., where you can hear more stories and see these wonderful photos. Unless you forget this morning, don't discount what God can do. For Jesus said in Matthew 19:26, "With God, all things are possible." With that, I'd like to change gears and switch to a topic that seems like it would be so easy for a a pastor to talk about, to talk about these paradoxes, things that are true on both ends of the spectrum, wisdom and folly, and other things that we're considering paradoxes in the Christian faith like we're going to get to soon, where we can be a saint and sinner at the very same time. Or we could be in bondage to sin, yet completely free in Christ. So many things that are so hard to understand at a glance, but when we look deeper, we see these incredible truths. And one of these is this, is that what the world sees is folly, our God many times says and puts together as wisdom, His wisdom. Last Sunday, I preached and then I heard it was recorded. I've never done this before. And then I went on and I listened to it. Have you ever listened to your own voice? Oh my. (laughs) And I caught all these things that I wish I wouldn't do and I'm so grateful then I thought, I'm so thankful for this church. And how they put up with me, I'm just so thankful. And so one of the notes is I wanted to teach in such a way that instead of me stumbling so much, I can say it in such a way that it may sound more clear to understand on tape. So I start with this. According to the world, or right outside the corner, anything that has to do with Jesus is folly for instance Jesus teaching one of his big teachings in this world turn the other cheek love and even pray for your enemies ah the world would see that as folly and for many in the church we consider that folly as well oh how about his miracles Calming the storm, walking on water, healing the blind, casting out demons. And similar to how even I treated the miracle on the border was the same in Israel. They would find some way to discount the miracles of Jesus and say folly. Or how about his life, his birth, his childhood, his adult life, his suffering, his death? his resurrection, and to much of the world, folly. But one thing that I've learned when I've watched TV, have you ever said, don't cast shade on me? Well, God has a way of casting shade upon what the world values and lifts up the mysterious ways of God. For instance, didn't he do this? Didn't God do this? I love this about God. He chose the weak, the uneducated, the rejected, the most unlikely characters. Look at Abraham. Wasn't it this about Abraham? He was like the rest of us. Sometimes people say, oh, he must have been so faithful. But he worshiped idols. Jacob, he was a rascal. Moses, he was a murderer and he couldn't talk very well. I like Moses. Matthew, a tax collector. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, ordinary fishermen. I love this about God. It's a paradox. Really? I mean, why would God do such a thing? He doesn't choose the best and the greatest. That would be what most people would do, this world. He chooses what is considered pedestrian, the ordinary and the least, the available, the willing, folly. In the world's eyes. And what we think is tragic, sad, and most horrible, folly. God uses what many people think is tragic and utterly sad and most horrible. God uses it, redeems it, and surprises the world. Think for a moment. Think Isaac. All hope is gone. And then on Mount Moriah, God provided the lamb. All nations were blessed through his line. Okay, let's think of another one. Think Joseph. What his brothers did to harm, God used it to rescue. And of course, think Jesus. Born humble, died humiliated, but God used it to save. The world saw it as folly, but God, the wisdom of God, amen? I can't think of a better working of the paradox than what you're going to rehear again for this morning. Kathleen read it for us, and I would say it is the best treatment of paradox that we find in Scripture that comes from 1 Corinthians. I mean, it's so rich that you can easily gloss over what Paul's writing about Jesus. And so I invite you to read again, take with you and read. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2 will blow you away of what God does that seems like folly, but it's the wisdom of God. Notice what is considered folly of all follies in what Paul read, as I read it before you again this morning. It is remarkable. So I invite you... um, so Andrew, if you could put the scripture there, they could follow along. And just, I want you to capture this. Because he's talking about what the world considers folly, and this is the wisdom of God. And you'll notice where it comes down to. The folliest of the folly. I mean, it comes down to something that is the crux of the matter, and I'm sure you'll pick it out. For the message of the cross is what? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But verse 23, I love this. But we preach Christ, what? A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greeks, christ the power of god and the wisdom of god for the foolishness of god is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of god is stronger than human strength he says this to his church brothers and sisters think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards not many were influential not many were a noble birth but god In redemption therefore it is written and i know that you're not going to have this in your in on the screen but follow with me goes to chapter two let no one who boasts boast in the lord chapter two and so it is with me brothers and sisters when i came to you i did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as i proclaimed to you the testimony about god verse two is key i'd love for you if you have your bibles underline this verse i needed to For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him, what? Crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of His Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen? Oh man, this this message hit me like a rock like the cornerstone, Jesus, it hit me. And how churches like our own and all across this nation are so focused on preachers that are eloquent, that have wonderful fancy ways to say things and sometimes do not proclaim what is most important, which is a stumbling block to this world, foolishness to them that think of this but the wisdom of God, that is, we preach Christ crucified. It may not be what people want to hear. But it is what changes lives. For when we see the cross, we have to come into consideration of our own sinfulness and our waywardness when we come to the foot of the cross, knowing that Jesus went to the cross to do what? To do away with your sin. To finally get you back together with God, and only God can do it. Even to this day, because it's such foolishness to this world, this cross, and the one that was crucified for our sake, it's still so alien. Oh, there's the connection. that we can miss it. And so Christians for centuries still need to come back to the cross and know what it's all about. And so, just like you, I need to get back to the cross. And I love those that have written in contemplation of what Christ did on the cross, to bring it back home in words that I can't manufacture in its great simplicity. And I thought, you know what, I bet the congregation would really love to hear it. And so I'll share these reflections of the cross with you, said so incredibly beautiful. And you'll notice as each one of these quotes that I share with you, I pray if it works, if you could just put me out of your mind, You close your eyes so it doesn't distract you like this tie will distract that you may focus on what is central, the cross of Jesus Christ. So the first one is from Paul Bunyan. And he says this, "Just just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loose from off his shoulders fell off his back and began to tumble down the hill. And so it continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the open tomb. And there it fell in and saw it no more. Thomas Merton pens this about the cross. I know the cross is not merely to know our own suffering. For the cross is the sign of salvation. And no man is saved by his own sufferings. To know the cross is to know that we are saved by the sufferings of Christ. More, it is to know the love of Christ who underwent suffering and death in order to save us. It is then to know Christ. i share a couple more with you. They're so good. This one is Matthew Henry. Come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are thy healing. His agonies, thy repose. His conflicts, thy conquests. His groans, thy songs. His pains, thine ease. His shame, thy glory. His death, thy life. His suffering, thy salvation. How about from those two grams? First from Billy. God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. Not to be outdone by Franklin Graham. It was Christ who willingly went to the cross and it was our sins that took Him there. And I'll finish with Luther. Luther says this, is it not wonderful news to believe that our salvation lies outside ourselves? Luther. It hit me like a rock when I went through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2 because what it says is what the world says. It says, Come on, be practical, people say. We need more than just hearing about Jesus Christ crucified. We have problems in our marriage. We have problems with addictions. We have problems with our children. We have problems with guilt. Did we say that we have problems with our children? I'm just kidding. We have problems with doubt. But I suggest that throughout the gospel, we'll see that the solution to every problem that plagues every person is the same. Jesus Christ in Him crucified. It seems crazy and yes, foolish, but the answer is at the foot of the cross, laying down our crowns and ourselves, confessing our sin and believing in the goodness of redemption of the cross and the resurrection. People of God, as we make journey, through the paradoxes of the Bible, the biggest paradox is right before us. It's right here at the cross. What are you going to do with the cross? And may we do what centuries and centuries of Christians have been doing. We come to the foot of the cross and we are confronted with who we are how broken we are, and we're confronted with the need of a Savior. And we're confronted with a solution that we cannot do on our own, that only God can provide. So may the rest of the service be a celebration what seems and is a paradoxical truth that he took this form of execution all for you, so that we may have a relationship with God for eternity. May you and I believe this truth and live for him forevermore. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.